Well, if you would take your Bibles once again and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 as we continue in our study of the book of Mark. We're going to see this morning that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 28. And as you're turning there, as we finished the sermon last week, we saw several word pictures found in the text. Um, we saw the piece of new cloth which represented Christianity. The old garment, which represented Judaism with all of its feasts, its rules, its regulations, its ceremonies, its sacrifices. But he said that when Jesus came, everything changed. Amen? Jesus did not come to patch up or reinforce Judaism or to give it a facelift, we said, but to replace it all together. Uh, Judaism had served its purposes, but Jesus came to bring something new and better. And trying to put the new, as we said, the new cloth or Christianity on top of Judaism of the old cloth would never work. And as we continued there, we saw that the wine represented the Holy Spirit and the wineskin represented the believer in Jesus Christ and how now the Holy Spirit had infilled him. So Jesus Christ came to make us new, a new birth leading to a new man. And by way of application, I asked this question as we closed the sermon last week. What is your religious practice? What is your religious practice? Sunday church? Giving your offering? Service projects? What is it that we do to help us feel good or to be religious or to kind of feel like we're doing our part? And we said, what is the motive behind our participation? Is it the fact that we're present and people can see that we're there? And we talked about the idea as we brought up fasting. Um, the passage there in Matthew says, when you give, not if you give, but when you give. Not if you pray, but when you pray. And then it says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. And we talked about the idea that we're to be doing it in private. And the Lord knows our hearts and our motives behind what we do. Is it our presence? Is it pride to say, well, hey, uh, look what I've done. I can fast. I can give. I can pray. I can do this or that. Or is it our position that we can kind of rise up in the ranks, so to speak, and kind of give this idea that we have a position of authority or position of respect or what have you? Well, in typical fashion, the not-so-private investigators, the Pharisees, found something else for which to be critical. Uh, and here we go. The disciples were walking through the grain fields, picking some grain. And oh, by the way, they were doing this on the Sabbath. So if you would follow along as I begin reading in Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. It says, On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way picking some heads of grain, and the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's take a moment and pray as we continue in our message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here in your house this morning. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I ask God that you would teach us what those things that we need to learn. 
Uh, Lord, maybe we've learned some of these things and have forgotten. May you bring them to our remembrance again, that we may apply them. And I ask God that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we said before, the Pharisees were kind of the private eyes, uh, the private investigators in Jesus' day. It seemed like over and over and over again, they would just continuously, like Hawkeyes, watch Jesus to make sure he was doing what they thought he should be doing. And uh, once again, I believe this is the third time in his ministry that the Pharisees come through and say, wait a minute, oh, we got you again. What are you doing this for, Jesus? And uh, of course, he understands exactly what they're doing. So the disciples were walking through the grain fields, picking some grain, and it happened to be on the Sabbath. But according to the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25, uh, they were allowed to do that. Uh, they were allowed to, as they were walking into another man's field, they were able to either pick the grapes or they were to able to pick the heads of grain and eat them. And they would do this. They would rub it between their hands and then they would eat it And if they were hungry. Uh, there was a couple of requirements, though. They were only able to eat uh, a little bit while they were there. They could kind of fill up a little bit right there, but they were not allowed to pick extra to take with them. And they were not willed, uh, able to fill containers as they were going out to, to take it with them for later. That would be stealing. Uh, but they were allowed to take a little bit for hunger's sake while they were there, according to Matthew or Deuteronomy 23 and verse 25. And then according to Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, it says that this is exactly what was the case, as we find the parallel passage there in Matthew 12. They were hungry. They were walking through the fields. Here's grain. Let's eat some. And so they, were, in typical fashion, grabbed a few heads of grain, and they would rub it together, and they would begin to eat. But you may recall that the Pharisees were steeped in the oral law, or in other words, that part of the law that was spoken, not necessarily written down. We talked about that in the beginning of the book of Mark. How there is the, the written law, but then there was also the, if you would, the inherited law. The law that kept changing. The law that they would add to it. And uh, they would make that almost supersede that which was written and given by Jesus. So, they were critical of Jesus and his disciples, not because they had eaten the grain, but because they had done so on the Sabbath. But it's interesting to note here, who's work? Who's at work? Who, who's busy here? See, the Pharisees were almost working harder finding out everything that Jesus and his disciples were doing wrong, rather than themselves working to find out who's breaking which laws. See, they were really busy at work. The disciples were just a little bit hungry. They ate a little bit on their way. But they were busy inspecting. So the Pharisees had built huge barricades around the Sabbath day. And what God intended to be a blessing to the to the people, the Pharisees had made a burden of rules and regulations. And so from the Pharisees' viewpoint, the disciples were working, quote-unquote, on the Sabbath. But, you know, we said that they had made a barricade of the Sabbath. They had added to uh, the written law all the oral laws that they had to follow. And to make sure, I mean, somebody had to inspect to make sure nobody was breaking these rules. And they took down that responsibility joyfully. For example, and we won't take the time to go there, but just several examples here. In Exodus chapter 35 and verse 3, uh, they were not to kindle a fire on the Sabbath. Uh, Exodus 35, 3, do not kindle a fire on the Sabbath. So if you've got cooking to do and you don't have ashes and embers in the, in, in the fireplace, <laughs> you're out of luck because you don't have that freedom to build a fire. Uh, in Numbers chapter 15, verse 32, it says, do not gather fuel. 
You're not to go out and gather sticks because that would be considered work. Uh, according to Jeremiah 17.21, they were not to carry burdens on the Sabbath. Uh, somehow those were just to dis dissipate and not be a part of that and not do anything that would be considered even remotely close to work. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 and 19, they were not to do business transactions on the Sabbath. No work. And of course, in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 4, they were not to walk more than 200 cubits on the Sabbath day because then once again it would turn into work. So all these rules, but how do you know who's breaking the rules and who's not? Well, somebody's got to be inspectors, so why not the Pharisees? Why not us, they would say. And so they would go out and make sure that anybody... But you know, it's, it's kind of amazing. There's always going to be somebody who's going to be that person, right? They're going to look out, make sure you're doing everything right. What was Jesus thinking? This is so obvious to all of us. He's breaking the law. But notice verse 25 says, He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? What was he referring to? Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 2, but go back to 1 Samuel. In just a moment, we're going to kind of reference that. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Of course, Jesus knew what David had done there. Uh, and I believe the Pharisees did as well. But however, Jesus saw things differently than the Pharisees saw them. And it's amazing how two people, groups, etc., can see the exact same thing, yet see two entirely different things. Um, let me give you an example. As your fingers are there, just think about this for a moment. How many of us hear things on the news or read things in the paper on a regular basis? Raise your hand. Right. Now, have you ever read that story or listened to the interview and interpreted it in your mind to mean thus and so? And then all of a sudden, someone else comes up to you a little while later who heard the exact same story, and did you hear? And they have a totally different perspective on that same article. Seems like it happens all the time. An argument, an accident, a shooting, the rationale behind any of those things. Two people observing the exact same incident, yet having two very different stories. Or how about in politics? The historical events that lead to a political platform, both past and present. Everybody observing the exact same thing, but two entirely different interpretations. I believe that this is what has taken place here. The Pharisees observed one thing and interpreted it to mean such and such. And Jesus says, no. It actually means this. And he sets them straight here. So what determines the interpretation? I believe it says, oftentimes, it's your biases, your experiences, your prejudices. So well, I don't have any of those. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Just so, you don't, just so you're aware of them. Opinions, teachings, so on, that help form your interpretation. Um, I have very strong opinions about certain things. Why do I have them? Because I had a father who had them. And my father who had them, I mean, certain things that when I look at an adult, I'm to look at them in the eye. You know what my expectation is for my kids? I want them to look at me in the face. My kids will tell you at various points in their lives. They say, look me in the eye. Why? Because my dad told me to look him in the eye. 
My dad had certain viewpoints about work, about politics, about different platforms. Why? That's where I got them from. I was taught. They were ingrained in me. Your teaching, your experiences, your biases, your prejudices all come into play here. When really it ought to solely be in those important things, the Word of God. That's really what matters. It ought to be the Word of God that forms the, bi- the basis of our interpretations. Let me give you another one, one I grew up with. I'll meddle just for a minute. Growing up, we had this definition of what it meant to be a sharp young Christian. And growing up, to be a sharp young Christian, you had to have your hair a certain way. Um, it was just ingrained with us. If one hair touched one part of your ear in any way, shape, or form, it was time to get it shaved. And guess what dad would take us to do? Get that head shaved. I mean, I remember as a little five, six, seven-year-old, along with my older brothers, we went to the barber on Saturday morning, but you know what we brought with us? Baseball caps. Because <laughs> somehow that was going to hide what was all taken away just a few minutes earlier. But we had this opinion. You can't look like the world. If one hair touches one part of your ear, you got to get that thing cut. I didn't mean now. If you're a lady, you had to have dress. I mean, you had to. There was no alternative. Now, are those necessarily bad things in and of themselves? No. But you know what I find myself today? If one little hair starts touching my ear, I'm telling you, I have tried. I got to get a cut. I got to get a cut. I can't handle it. I mean, it's just like I, I feel this, like when, as soon as the barber goes, I'm like, oh, yes, thank you, freedom. Now, I'm not as far as my kids in getting them all shaved, but, you know, there's, I got to protect what, what, what is there. But why, why do I do that? Because it's what was ingrained in me. And this was the definition of a sharp young believer. And so, it not, not necessarily what is found in the Word, but what was ingrained in us is the oral law not the written law. And we need to make sure that we're basing our life and our our actions, our decisions, our basis of interpretation on the Word of God. So the Pharisees could not or would not distinguish what was written in the law versus what was necessary for life. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, it says, David went to priest Ahimelech, and Anab, Ahimelech, was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? And David answered, The priest Ahimelech, the king gave me a mission. But he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. Now what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. And the priest told him, There is... No ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. And David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us, as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So, of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, they had been removed from the presence of the Lord. And when the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. What's going on here? You see, here it is in Mark chapter 2 and verse 25. He said to them, Have you not read what David 
And those who were with him did when he was need and hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and Abiathar and Ahimelech, uh, it's not a contradiction. One was probably his son, and they were both present, more than likely. Uh, same story. It says, have you ever read what David and those who were with him did, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions? You see, in this situation here, there are 12 loaves of bread, one representing each one of the tribes of Israel that were laid out on the table of showbread, table of presents, and they would be there. But when David and his men came, and by the way, the only ones that were allowed to eat that bread was the high priest. And the high priest says, well, the only thing I've got is some of this bread. Now, I want you to know something. This bread has been removed. There's been fresh loaves put out. I can't give them to you unless they're clean. And he says, they're clean. So he gives them the five loaves. Now, the letter of the law would say, uh, mm, this bread is dedicated. You're not a high priest. Sorry, can't have none. Let you guys go starve. Too bad. So sorry for you. But under the grace of the law, he says, if your men are clean, since these were taken off, there's been new that has replaced it they may eat. And David tells them that they are clean. Now, what God allowed showed us that he is a God, that he, or God, is not a legalist, but one who loves and gives what is good in time of need. He's not a legalist. He's one of grace. And obviously what Abiathar had done was acceptable, else Jesus would not have brought it up for an illustration. But they needed the reminder Obviously, what Abiathar done was acceptable. And Jesus would not have used this example, uh, but he used it as an example to teach the Pharisees of their insolence, their disrespect. And in this moment, the Word of God had become the defense for Jesus. You notice he didn't sit there and defend himself. Isn't that amazing? What's our first response when somebody accuses us of something? They mention something that just doesn't quite sit right with us. Is it not to defend ourselves? What does Jesus do? Wait a minute, you stupid Pharisees, you don't get it. He says, wait a minute. He uses what has already taken place in past history. Remember David? Well, of course they remembered David. You remember what he did when he went into the high priest? Of course they knew what he did. He gave them. And he allowed them to be satisfied. And looking further in our text in verse 27, it says this. Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So looking further, Jesus reminds the Pharisees of the Sabbath's purpose. A gracious heavenly father in wisdom instituted a plan for man to rest. And remember, the Sabbath was, or this day of rest was instituted many, many years before the law. So one day in seven to be laid aside for rest. What God designed for man as a day of rest had become a burden once the Pharisees had added the rabbinical laws and the rules and the regulations to it. Um, Growing up, I don't know how many of you had a rule like this in years past, but on Sundays, I was not allowed to do anything. I mean, nothing. And this was torture on a teenager. Um... We lived like three blocks from a big mall growing up. 
So on Sunday afternoon, it's a deck. Can we ride our bikes up to the mall? Nope. What? You, you know the rule. Don't even ask. We, we just want to, I don't, I don't care what the reason is. No. Anybody have one of those rules for Sundays growing up? Oh, I am alone. Oh, all four of you. It didn't matter the reasoning. It didn't matter why you wanted to do it. No, don't even ask. It's not for discussion. Boom, done, over. And if you question, ah, <laughs> it's just dad said what he meant, meant what he said. There's no arguing. But I wasn't allowed to go to the mall. Why? Because it was Sunday. It was a day of rest. Ask my kids what I hate to do on Sundays. I do not like going anywhere on Sundays. It's like the one day a week that we try to rest. I don't know about you, but I like that one day of rest. Amen. It's not for football, it's for rest. Unless the Vikings are playing. Or Colts. So, he makes it very clear here in our text. Verse 27 here. He told them the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what's he saying here? It is a day of rest. It is a day set aside. But it's not just for the sake of resting. So our rest is not necessarily in a day now, but it's in a person. The Sabbath had fallen on the last day of the week. However, after Calvary, everything changed, right? Things happened on the first day of the week. Let me give you an example. Jesus rose from the dead. What day of the week? First day of the week. The day of Pentecost fell on what day of the week? First day of the week. When the Holy Spirit came, and also on the first day of the week. And the early church worshipped on the first day of the week, according to Acts 20, verse 7. So what's he saying here? And we'll not take the time to do it, to look at it. But according to Hebrews chapter 4, our rest is now not in a day. It's in a person, Jesus Christ. Everything changed. And so what he was trying to get to with these Pharisees, these legalists, was, wait a minute, we serve a God of grace. A God of mercy, who understands. Nothing wrong with the Sabbath. Nothing wrong with a day of rest. We could use it. In fact, we live in a culture that just goes, 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 goes. And then a crash. We ought to follow the example that God gave us. Work hard and rest. But knowing this, Hebrews 4, that our rest is in Jesus. He's the one that gives us our strength. He's the one that gives us our rest when we need it. So he's teaching these Pharisees not to be legalists, but to be people of grace. I don't know about you, but we need to see that in the world that we live. We need to see that God is a God of grace. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's Lord. He's the one that we serve. He's the one that we find our rest in. I hope that you've been, come, you've been able to come to that conclusion in your life. That Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath too. Learning to rest in Him and finding your peace in Him. Practically speaking, making sure that we, once again, as last week, guard our motives. Why do we do what we do? Why is it that we have the opinions that we have? Is it based in Scripture or is it based on opinion or fact or experience or whatever else you could put in the blank there? Hopefully it's found in the Word of God. It's the example that Jesus gave to us. He didn't argue his own point. 
He took them back to Scripture. And in the world that we live in, if we're going to have any merit in our words, they cannot be our own arguments. They need to be based in the Word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for how it's true in our life. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be reminded of it. That you're still God. You make no mistakes. And you're well aware of everything that's taken place and it's for your glory. Lord, I pray that you'd help us even this morning, Lord, to guard our motives as we talked about last week, as we bring it in conclusion this week, that we be not like the Pharisees who are good at poking out what we think is wrong in others, yet disregarding what's wrong in our own lives. Lord, it's so easy when someone doesn't line up with what we think they should line up with. It's so easy when they have a differing opinion than what ours is to be critical, to be judgmental, and forget the purpose for which we're here as we're busy pointing out the flaws of others while negating our own. So God, help us to be in a right standing with you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for a moment as we do 